0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. It's good to be back recording a podcast. I was gone for a vacation for a week, and doing some other stuff, so I didn't get an episode published last week, and this week I was at the SING conference, the SING 2019 conference, hosted by Keith and Kristen Getty in Nashville, Tennessee, had an excellent time at the conference, went with 12 other members from our church, so there were 13 of us from our church, all together from our music team at the chapel, and that was just a great time, not only listening to the sessions and singing, with about 9,000 other people. But uh, the discussions that we had at dinnertime and riding around uh, really brought a lot of unity and was super beneficial, super helpful in growing closer to one another, helping to understand different perspectives, and really encouraging one another to work towards glorifying Christ and glorifying God in the ministry that we work in, which is uh, a music ministry. So I apologize if my voice is a little bit uh, frail this morning or this afternoon. It has been a long week, didn't get a lot of sleep, but I had a lot of fun and I did a lot of singing at the top of my lungs, so that has left my throat a little bit scratchy and dry. So please forgive that. Um, What I want to do today is give you some of my impressions from the Sing Conference, a little bit of a review, some things that I learned, some things that I think you'll find interesting. First of all, I want to say that this is the third year that I've gone and attended the SING conference. Um, It has been a really uplifting experience every time that I have gone. This is a conference that is hosted by Keith and Kristen Getty, and the entire purpose of the conference is to encourage and challenge churches to sing hymns. And to sing congregationally. Now, why sing hymns? They encourage the singing of hymns because typically hymns teach a deep and rich theology. And one of the repeated emphasis. Now, th- this being my third year going, I can say this with great certainty that Keith and Kristen have a strong conviction that the music we sing in church, the hymns that will stand the test of time, are those hymns that connect the deep and rich theology of Scripture with a memorable melody line that is accessible for all the congregation to sing. And that makes a lot of sense. When you think about the songs that the church loves, the songs that have stood the test of time for years and years and years— Martin Luther wrote thousands of hymns, but we think of him and the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, because it just kind of is at the pinnacle of hymns that he has written in terms of the theology, the singability, and the way that it communicated a deep and rich theological message. Same thing with Horatio Spafford's It Is Well With My Soul, same thing with John Newton's Amazing Grace. Same thing with the Wesley brothers, And Can It Be? I mean, these are hymns that have been around for hundreds of years in the church, and the reason they have stood the test of time is that generation after generation after generation is able to sing them, is able to be touched and encouraged and challenged by the theology, and is able to Make them a part of the life of the church. You know, those are the hymns when they show up on a Sunday morning and you're looking at the bulletin or you're looking at uh, the chart of music that you're going to sing or play, and you're like, oh yeah, we get to do And Can It Be This Morning. This is going to be great. Everybody knows this song. And so Keith and Kristen Getty have really taken it upon themselves to challenge the contemporary church, those of us living in the 21st century, to write hymns, that will stand the test of time, that will be deep, rich, theologically accurate, and will endure for generations to come. Now, obviously, everything that the Gettys write is not going to stand for generations. I mean, John and Charles Wesley wrote over 20,000 hymns in their lifetime together, and we sing, you know, a few dozen of them. So the Gettys may uh, write Five, six, seven hundred, a thousand hymns in their lifetime that they publish or that become known uh, in this generation, but maybe there'll be a half a dozen that really stand the test of time. I I can tell you one that I think the Gettys collaborated on with Stuart Townend that will stand the test of time, and that is the hymn "In Christ Alone." I, I can't think of any Christian who's ever heard that song that has said, you know, I, I just don't really like that. Maybe they're, maybe they're not a fan of the style of the music, but in terms of the lyric and the message and how it all fits together and how singable it is, um, everybody can sing it from a four-year-old to an 80-year-old. Everybody who knows the gospel appreciates the message. And if you've been a Christian for many years uh, and you've realized how great your sin is, I mean, the more you... Study the Bible; the more you realize, wow, my sin was just so bad. I didn't even, didn't even realize it was. I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize it was this bad. The more you realize the extent of your sin, the more you appreciate the third verse of that song, um, that talks about how our sins have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and we don't have to fear death any longer, because Christ conquered sin, he conquered the grave, and he's risen again. Amen. So that's kind of a brief overview of what the SING Conference is. Uh, let me just break this down, the review, in terms of you know things that I really liked and appreciated and a couple things that I think needs work. And this is just my opinion. Um, I've been a part of some conference planning, not anything near on the scale of what they do. But I think if they somehow happen to hear this podcast, it's very doubtful, um, real and genuine uh, criticism or feedback. I don't I even want to say criticism because I, I really don't have negative criticism, but kind of like an iron sharpening iron type of uh, discussion here. I think that's very helpful to have after an event like this. One thing that I greatly appreciate is that year after year, this is now my third year going, we have heard, our audience members, attendees of the conference, have heard the same message regarding the importance of congregational singing and the need for better congregational singing in the churches. And, you know, one of the problems in Christianity, one of the problems in the evangelical community, maybe it broad is broader than that maybe it goes into the Pentecostal community other communities is what has become known as worship wars between different generations in the church between maybe the pastor and the worship leader or the pastor and the band or you know the organist and the the contemporary band the Gettys have really worked hard to communicate a message that look the pastor needs to be involved in the selection of songs. The band members need to be involved to some degree in the selection of songs. The congregation needs to be considered in the selection of songs. The st- And how do you consider the congregation? By thinking through who is your congregation, what preferences do they have, what um, are they used to? And by considering these things, by being thoughtful of the congregation, you can Uh, allow every member of the congregation, and we hope that it's a diverse congregation, you know, some 18 to 25-year-olds and some 70 to 80-year-olds, you know, and everybody in between. Everybody can have or hear or sing some music that they really prefer, but everybody can also be challenged to sing and appreciate and enjoy music that maybe isn't their first preference, but is very, very good. And the easiest way to convince somebody that a music that isn't of their preferred style is worth singing and paying attention to is to tell them that it has a rich message. If the music has a rich message, then it's worth spending time singing. May not be your favorite style, may not be a style you want to have all the time, but it's worth singing, it's worth passing down from generation to generation if the message is rich. And so that message, basically, that pastors, worship leaders, the congregation, all must work together to facilitate singing, has been communicated year after year. Another thing that has been promoted year after year that they have done very well is they have promoted the idea of doing music excellently. You know, why try to sing six songs every Sunday if you don't have time to rehearse six songs? Maybe sing three or four or two, two songs really well. Don't try to be what you're not as a church. In other words, you don't have to have a five-piece band with an acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass guitar, and drums, and two singers. You don't have to have that to be a successful singing congregation if that's not around or available in your church setting. You can be a successful singing church congregation if you only have a piano or if you only have an organ. The real key is to choose music. That is theologically rich, and that can be done well, and that is singable for the average congregation. You know, you have to remember, when you go to a conference like this, there were 9,000 people there, and because it was a conference for pastors, musicians, and singers, probably the vast majority, 80 to 90 percent of the people there, were very musically gifted And so they're singing in harmonies that are beautiful, and you can't expect that to be replicated in your normal congregation. That's unrealistic expectation. So you have to choose music that's not only theologically rich, but singable for your congregation. I think there are a couple songs that we did at the conference that I enjoyed singing, but I might not want to introduce to my congregation because it would be too challenging for them to sing. Some of the rhythms might be too complicated for them to learn. Some of the vocal jumps that have to be made between notes in different portions of the song may be too difficult. Now, that may be appropriate for some congregations, but not every congregation. So, they are consistent in their promotion of good singing within within the limits of what your congregation is able to do. And I would say, looking at the chapel, the church that I have the opportunity to pastor at, we have... Um, challenged our congregation to sing better, to sing richer, to sing uh, some more complicated music, and and they have. But there are still occasionally songs that we introduce where I have, uh, you know, one of the other pastors come up to me or somebody else and say, you know, that song was a little bit tough. And I listen to them, and I can say, yeah, you know, if you're not a musically inclined person—and I'm not saying this to—everybody yeah, loves music, but I'm saying— a musically gifted person, to be able to hear and replicate um, melodies and harmonies and rhythms. If you're not that type of person, I could see where that song might be too difficult for you to sing, and that's okay, and And that's the kind of feedback that we need. Maybe that's a great song with great lyrics, but it's, our congregation is just not ready for it yet. One thing the Gettys have really done well is they have not been formulaic in their approach. So they don't tell you, you need X, Y, and Z in your band, or A, B, and C in your worship leader, or um, LMNOP in your pastor. You don't need those things or this specific set of things to become a successful singing church. Now, I want to make this very clear, there are some things that the band has to do and the pastor has to do and the worship leader has to do to be a successful church. What I'm saying the Gettys don't do is they don't give you a like purpose-driven formula. They don't give you this formula and says, if you just do all these steps, one, two, three, four, five, here's this fantastic end result that you're going to have. I appreciate that they don't do that. They say, do what is excellent according to your abilities, and evaluate yourself. If you need to work more on this particular area or that particular area, then start working on those areas. Whatever you have in terms of instrumentation, musicians, pastor, worship leader, start with that and try to make small incremental improvements so that all things are done for the glory of Christ— Be intentional about how you're thinking through the music ministry. Be intentional about the integration and the communication between the message that's coming from the pulpit, the scripture reading, the prayer time, and the music that's being sung. Those are all important elements. All important elements to what the church does when it gathers together to worship Jesus Christ. The Gettys and the speakers that they have come and speak are also very strong on the fact that worship is more than just the music. And that is a huge misconception within the evangelical church that, all right, now it's time to worship. Sing, 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 sing. Okay, now it's time to pray. Wait, isn't prayer worship? Now it's time to read scripture. Wait, isn't reading scripture worship? Now it's time for the preaching. Well, isn't preaching worship? Yes. The answer is yes, 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 yes. All of those elements are worship, and the evangelical church has done a disservice by defining worship as purely song and not any of the other elements. So the Gettys and the folks that they have surrounded themselves with have made a very strong effort to say, look, it's, it's not just the music that needs to be done excellently. It's not just the music that needs to be deep and rich and theological. It's the prayers. It's the scripture reading. It's the sermon. All of it together that the church does when it's gathered is the corporate worship of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another thing that I think the Gettys have done really well is they have high quality speakers with well developed themes. Uh, This year in particular, the theme of the conference was singing the work of Christ. And the speaker started out by talking about the importance of the incarnation, the life of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and Christ's great commission. And these themes were very well developed. You could see how the music that was selected fit in with the theme that the speaker was speaking. Um, That's so important because they're modeling what they want to happen in the local church service. Now, it doesn't always have to happen that every song that you sing on a Sunday matches the exact main theme or main point of the sermon. But it's nice when it does happen because it really helps the people in the church to connect the truth from the message— that they hear with the truth that they sing. And you, you just, you tend to hold things deeper. You tend to retain them longer when you can put them to a melody. Um, I, I know there's a lot of people who have a hard time memorizing scripture, just straight up memorizing, but you can memorize a song really easily. And that's not to say you shouldn't memorize scripture, but it, the memorization process is easier if you can set it to a melody. The learning process can become easier when you set it to a melody. Why do, we, why do we teach our children the ABC song when they're two years old? Because it's easy to memorize when you set something to a tune. And so many other things that we teach our children are set to tunes because it aids in the memorization process. The final thing that I think the Gettys have done really well Is this, they have a repeated emphasis on singing in all different areas of life. Singing at home with your children, singing in the workplace, singing when you're just doing casual activities, singing in the church. What I take away from this is, you know, church songs aren't just for church. Some people think they are. Church songs, well, that's for church, and I can listen to whatever I want to outside of church. Well, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't listen to secular music. That's that's up to you. You have to make that decision be, between your conscience and the Lord. But I think what they're saying is that you know, to integrate these truths and to really help set them deep in your heart, you have to spend time outside of the 45-minute or an hour or two-hour service that you have on Sunday morning singing these truths. And singing with your children is a great way for— The family to have a devotion time. It's a great way for the family to work together to learn the history of song and some of the new songs, and for the children to learn this music throughout the week. Then when they go to Sunday and they hear that tune and they're like, wow, this is what my parents value. This is what I should value. There's a consistency there. And so I've Appreciated that repeated emphasis on singing great theology at home and at church. I would say, for myself personally, the thing that I was challenged with the most after this particular conference was the idea that, you know, pastors need to be involved in the music ministry. That doesn't mean pastors have to lead the worship on Sunday. That doesn't mean pastors have to um, make all the decisions regarding every musical element of the service. What I'm trying to say is that pastors, because they know theology well, ought to be involved in helping curate and choose the songs that are sung Sunday after Sunday. Pastors ought to uplift and support the worship team, or the, those who are, I don't even want to call them worship team, because everybody is part of the worship, and that's kind of a misnomer. Pastors ought to uplift and support the musicians and the music team as they perform and lead the congregation in singing. Pastors have to have an active role in this. You can't preach, uh, sing well. It's important and not care about it at all. So I think um, that's something that I've tried to do in the past, and, and this is, again, like I said, the third year I've been there, and it just uh, re-emphasized to me the importance of being involved as a pastor in the music life of the church, the musical life of the church. I think the other big takeaway that I had, just personally, was— you know, all of this coordination takes a lot of time. You know, if if pastors are going to work with the music team to develop a centralized theme to sing about and preach about on a Sunday, that just takes time. And it means you need to work ahead so that the musicians who are going to perform this music have time to practice it, so that the song leader who's going to choose the music has time to pick the songs. Um, So as a pastor, one of the things I'd like to commit myself to doing is to scheduling my sermons out more in advance, more than two or three weeks in advance, but maybe two to three months in advance. I don't know what that looks like. I've never tried it before, but that's one of the goals that I have as a personal takeaway for this, so that I can then hand that uh, list to our music selection team, And they can look at that and say, oh, here's the theme for this Sunday. Let's pick some songs that will relate to that theme. Maybe that won't work out for every Sunday, but it would be nice if it worked out for some of the Sundays. And I think it would be helpful to them as they pick music, especially closing songs or the song of response, if they know what the main theme is going to be for that Sunday. Now, here's a couple of things that I just have some quibbles about. Not... Not anything where it's like, oh, I, just, it makes me want to not come back or anything. But, you know, I was somewhat disappointed in the, the pre-conference hymn sing that we had at the Grand Old Opry. I, I enjoyed the singing, but there were some certain guest artists who came out and sang songs that were just fabulous songs, but they sang them in such a way that nobody else could sing along. And it was really frustrating to me, and as I talked with our uh, fellow musicians from our church who were there, it, they were frustrated too because it's like well, these are some of the great, great songs that we know and love, and they were sang in such a way that it was perfect for a solo artist, but bad for congregational singing. So I don't know what was communicated to those artists who came out and did that. You know, I'm not privy to what the back room conversations were. Maybe they were told to do one thing and they did something different. I don't know, but it was a little bit of a disappointment when there were three or four songs that. Hey, this is a hymn sing. We want all of you to sing, but the audience couldn't follow along because the rendition that was sang was not singable. Here's a minor quibble that's actually really a positive thing. There are so many activities and events that you have to choose between good and better at the conference. I mean, you are not going to be bored. You're going to spend 12 to 14 hours a day, maybe even longer, just doing stuff at this conference. So there there is a ton of things to do. There is a a lot of opportunity to do things, and there are things that you want to do that you just can't get to because there's not time. So um, that's, that's a little bit of a quibble, but it's a good thing because you're not bored at the conference. You're definitely getting your money's worth. And what I would recommend is, like uh, our church this year, because we sent multiple people we kind of divided up the responsibilities like, hey, you know, let's not all go to the same breakout sessions. Let's go to different breakout sessions so we can try to pull uh, as much information from this conference as possible. The third thing that I would say, um, and this is not to take away from the quality of the sermons. I thought the sermons were extremely high quality, but I will say that each of the sermons, Not every sermon—let me say it this way—not every sermon had an application that was made by the speaker to, I think, the main point of the conference, which was helping to facilitate congregational singing in the churches. I think Mark Deaver's sermon was by far the most practical and theological sermon that was given at the conference in terms of you know, we're coming to this conference, we're listening to the speaker, he's talking about um, the gospel and how can we implement the gospel in our worship services better. Okay, Mark Deaver did an excellent job. A couple of the speakers, I thought, had excellent messages, and I really love them because I like history, I like philosophy, I understand some of the presuppositions about culture and Politics and history that were being referenced by these lecturers. I shouldn't say lecturers, I should say preachers. They were preaching sermons. But it did feel like a lecture in the sense that, you know, it was a very high level sermon. And I'm just wondering how many of the people there were tuned in with the presuppositions that were used, the concepts that were introduced in a 40-minute sermon, they didn't have time to be expanded upon. So maybe you were somebody listening and sitting in the audience, and you didn't know or understand what that concept was, and that was essential to the speaker's argument. Well, you might have been lost. I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong, and a high percentage of the audience was able to follow the line of argumentation that was being made. I know that just talking with some of the folks in my own group that it wasn't always the case in our group and we have pretty high level sermons at our church. And I'm not saying that, you know, the audience is dumb. I'm not saying you should talk down to the audience. I'm just saying when you're inviting somebody to speak at a conference, to preach a message, and the main theme is how to sing congregationally and have rich theology and song you know, I don't know what conversations happen before or behind the scenes, but maybe there need to be some, some more extensive conversations about, like, here's, here's the parameters of what I want you to speak on and how I want you to relate it to singing or to the church. And maybe they, maybe they didn't want that. Maybe they felt like all of that other stuff would be dealt with in the breakout sessions and in some of the guest panel uh, discussions and question and answer times maybe that's how they structured it and they wanted the sermons to be very rigorous and challenging and deep because they wanted to just expose the conference goers to that high level discussion that high level theology and just show people what's possible i don't know that was a that's a minor quibble i as a pastor, as somebody who speaks regularly before people, I try to be very conscientious about that. Um, God has blessed me with a really good vocabulary and ability to understand a lot of different concepts. And the feedback that I get at church is, Pastor Jonathan, we knew you went off your notes because you started using words and not explaining them. And... Uh, yeah, that's true. When I when I start to ad lib, then I start to just you know use words and concepts that you know people people should know, or maybe maybe they shouldn't know. Maybe they're newer to people. Maybe they're not as immersed in them as I am. They know about them, but they're not immersed in them like I am. And so, if you don't take time to explain those things, people get lost and they can get frustrated. And you know, that's just um, that's the constant tension that people who are preaching have to deal with? How deep do I go? How do I explain these things? What concepts do I want to bring to bear? Which concepts can I speak about and and believe that a reasonable percentage, a high percentage of the audience knows this concept? Or what concept do I need to speak about because it's important to the message, but then I need to explain that concept so that the audience understands what it is and it helps support my argument. Uh, ultimately I think the Sing conference is an excellent thing. There's a five year plan. This was year three of five. Um, I think it's good that it's not just going to be an indefinite thing, but it's a very purposeful event and they're building year, uh, year upon year with their concepts and their themes. Um, I personally heard less new things this year than I had in years past. But again, that's good because I've been going for three years. Um, We've been trying to implement these things. I'm okay not learning new things all the time. Well, what that's telling me is the same message is being repeated and emphasized. And so more churches, more saints are having the opportunity to be challenged in this way. And I pray that God will be glorified as our congregation seek to sing truth at a high level with a great deal of excellence unto the glory of Christ, for it is him who we serve, it is him who we love, and it is him who we look forward to worshiping in person on some glorious day in the future. May you be encouraged to check out uh, gettymusic.com, gettymusic.com, where Keith and Chris and Getty have a number of their resources available if you've never checked any of their stuff out, it would be a great benefit to you personally and to your church to be able to hear and play and perform and sing some of the music that they've written and collaborated on with other artists. I would encourage you, if you could, make plans to attend the Sing Conference next year. It's going to be over Labor Day weekend next year. No, it's not. It's going to be... I take that back. It's going to be September, no, August 31st through September 2nd. So it'll be the week before Labor Day next year. I want to give a special shout out to my friend Stephen Lohr, who has helped me greatly in this podcast, helping me with audio issues and continuing to do some quality control for me. Um, he runs a, a independent music recording laboratory or laboratory studio called S. Music Group. It's an in-home studio, and he can write, record, mix, or master any musical or spoken track that you want to work on. You can check him out on Facebook, or you can email him at slord.musicgroup at gmail.com. I would encourage you, if you are in Northwest Ohio, come visit our church. where the Grace Brother Chapel, located on the corner of State Route 590 and Route 20, You can find us online at www.gbchapel.org. May God bless you.